Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Uh, producer Simon McGuire is back with me today. Simon, the golf clubs must be in getting cleaned, are they? Yeah, yeah back, out, back out on Friday, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Simon, you'd be delighted to hear that I'm taking a big risk here by leaving the dogs in the room with me. Oh, great stuff, yeah. Yeah, it seems fitting ahead of today's show, having animals by my side. That's because I'm delighted to say that we're joined by uh, Jerry Creighton, star of TV's The Zoo, who's been called the human voice of the elephant. And just so happens to be a former Irish boxing champion. Jerry, welcome to the show. I believe you just wrapped up a special project where your team has rewilded 13 elephants from the UK to Kenya. Can you tell us? Hi, Kevin. Yeah, listen, an absolute pleasure to be on. Thanks for asking me. Uh, and Simon, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's it's just gone from strength to strength. I mean, you know, certainly um, me, 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 um, we can talk about my boxing career in a few minutes, but certainly where we are now with the, with the uh, animal career is, is going incredibly well. I, I, I had worked in Dublin Zoo for 37 years, you know, a second generation zookeeper, lived very close to the zoo near where, where I started me boxing and I've owned a boxing club just around the corner in, in, in Ivor Street. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, after 37 years in the zoo, I, I was operations manager managing the, you know, um, the whole of the zoo, but it was getting offers and, and the zoo was sending me to other places around the world to help with conservation projects and particularly elephants. Elephants are a, a species that they've had a hard time in zoos. They're, they're incredibly charismatic, sentiment being smart, intelligent, fascinating to work with. The integrity of the herd is all based around the, the, the family unit. We can learn so much with them. But I've been working also now, one of the projects I'm working with is in the Howlett's Wild Animal Park where 13 African elephants, I'm, I'm getting ready for to be uh, returned to the wild in Kenya. So it's going to happen in September. So there's a big, big war, you know, job involved. And I say training them, and it's very important that people understand what, what Jerry means when he says train. It's not like, you know, training animals. People have this perception of elephants like Jungle Book. And, you know, we all had the Jungle Book. We all had, you know, Dumbo. We all had, as we were kids, things that we can relate to. But the training I do, is, is all about their psychological and physical preference. I don't do gimmicks. I don't have an elephant coming out dancing to Britney Spears or doing nothing stupid like that. I'm talking about elephants that 
you're preparing them psychologically and physically for the journey to Africa. And what that involves in every day is, for example, we've specially constructed crates, believe it or not, they're going to be flown over to Kenya. I keep calling it a Dumbo jet rather than a Jumbo jet, but it's a massive big plane, the plane that they go on. So they're crates, we've crates designed. So to be honest with you, in the old days, an elephant would be given a mild sedation, it would wake up with some chains on its legs and it would essentially be winched into the crate. Now, you can imagine, like imagine a, a sentiment, smart, intelligent animal being treated like that. And all of a sudden it wakes up in a darkened crate, could be in it for a day or two, depending on how long the journey was. And then you're, so, you're expecting something to come out the other end of the crate with no consequences. You know, they're incredibly empathetic, their empathy, how they, you know, they mourn that, they celebrate life. You know, we've been lucky enough to see you know, nine herd birds in Dublin Zoo and as new life stumbles to the floor, it's always greeted with excitement, the ears flapping, the tail flapping. The young baby elephants are pushed in to learn. Elephants to learn from elephants. But it's just to see their emotional, their emotion towards one another. I mean, they have the, what they call the spindle neuron, the von Economen, the brain that we have, marine mammals have, large apes have, and that's the ability to keep learning throughout their life. So I, I, I was looking at these animals and I'm saying, Jesus Christ, you know, we have to be doing something different for them. And thankfully, Dublin Zoo left, led the way in that because um, we what we looked at was the animal's biology, how they function, how they live, how they interact with the environment. And we created a wonderful habitat up there for Dublin Zoo. And, you know, letting them, giving them choice, opportunity and control over their own day. We no longer dominate them. We allow them to be elephants. So, you know, based on the knowledge I had acquired then, I've gone global, and that's the name of me, I mean, my company, Global Elephant Care. So I'm working now, just an example of the projects. I'm working, obviously, the big one is getting these elephants back to, to Kenya, which will be a world force, a world force from a zoo situation. And we're really hoping then that, you know, it'll give zoos the confidence because, you know, zoos are about conservation. And, you know, the ultimate goal is getting them back to the wild. But unfortunately, a lot of the countries where most animals, not only elephants, come from political instability, wars, Civil wars, you name it, goes on in these countries. So it's not as straightforward as it sounds. But this is a, a milestone in, in conservation. To be selected as being the, the guy to lead the program and get the elephants ready is an absolute uh, honour. Obviously, Jerry, it's that's what's best for. Uh, well, not obviously, but that might sound like what's best for the elephant. But is there not an aspect of the zoos want to keep the elephant? The zoos want to have the elephants in, you know, in their zoos to attract people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, obviously, they're, they're they're what we call one of the flagship species, and people do have an expectation of of coming to the zoo. But zoos, you know, are very much evolving. Uh, Kevin, even since you know, since I was a kid and since you were a kid, I mean, they are now centres of education, conservation, and they are working a lot closer with the wild than they ever did, as opposed to the original people are coming to gawk at the animals and off they go home. Like you know, even some of the projects that Dublin Zoo work is phenomenal. I've been lucky enough to go to the Kazaranga National Park in India, where we provide rangers and support vehicles for them to protect the animals within that park. You know, so really, what zoos are now are conservation bodies that run a zoo and but you're right i mean there, there is still a huge amount but they, the, the zoos are realizing that you know they have to be there has to be genuine efforts now for for conservation and and reintroduction programs they're not easy to do the landscape as i say in a lot of these countries is difficult but it's just beautiful to see how much the zoo has changed since i was a kid i was only a baby going up with me dad my dad lived locally too obviously 
He was from the area. He started 14, 15 as a, as a, as a, as a pony boy. He was in the zoo for 52 years. Boy, he was a little kid, like hanging on to the back of his heels, walking up to the zoo at the weekend. What an education. It was like, you know, it was like Jungle Book. It was like being Tarzan, being in your own, yeah. running around at five or six years old. In the, and, you know, the, the sense of freedom, the sense of I'm free here, I'm with the animals, but yet you're in such a safe environment. So to grow up from what it was then was a Victorian zoo. It was set, set up under Royal Charter by Queen Victoria. And, you know, the uh, people would remember the old lion house and the stench of urine and the big cats walking back and forward. The old elephants, uh, and, and they were in a small little concrete pit. The keeper was actually, believe it or not, was Jimmy Kenny, and that's Pat Kenny's father, the broadcaster. He was the elephant keeper that looked after them. But, you know, so how it's evolved over the last couple of decades where the key component or the key motivation or the key reason is the animal welfare, the wellness, the bio biological needs of the animals, the social needs of the animals are all met. So zoos, the role is really, really changing. A lot of people question zoos, and that's correct, they should, because, the, you know, like everything else, there's a lot of different standards. But, you know, Dublin Zoo is part of a, an organization, two organizations called EASA, which is the European Association of Zoos and Aquariums, BIASA, which is the British and Irish Association, and they collectively, they meet every year. They have strategic plans, how they can help the wild, how they can help animals you know, in the wild, how they can work together collectively for endangered species program. It's not just a matter. Like, for example, the zoo has Sumatran tigers or Amur tigers. There's less than a thousand Amur tigers left in the world. They have the Asiatic lion. There's left than, less than 400 of them left in the world. But it's not a matter of just breeding and breeding and breeding because the zoos even too have a limitation in space. So what you have is an international stud bookkeeper. So, Kevin, he would know all the uh, Asiatic lions that's in Europe. And he would say the Dublin male goes to mate with the, f the female in France we just pick because the, the genetics are, are kept diverse and yeah. kept, so it's a bit like Tinder for lions so <laughs> and then that's how it's worked yeah. so you know what I mean and, and so there's a structure to it there's an organisation probably, probably less inbreeding than the Irish gene pool there you have it. <laughs> but you know so you know, for me it's a joy to see how how it's evolved and how I've personally evolved and how I've personally developed you know yeah, as my own thought process, and just to be going around the world now, as I said, I'm I'm going to be going to the United Arab Emirates. I'm going to Cincinnati. I'm being just taken on by uh, the sanctuary in Tennessee to advise them on their elephant care. Melbourne, Werribee Open Range Zoo, Dublin Zoo wouldn't let me go too far. They kept me as a consultant. So it's going from strength to strength. It's something I'm really passionate about. I want to make a difference for for the for the elephants and, and guide people. Use my knowledge and experience. And uh, you probably say, "Well, this will ever show up now." But anyway, you can see when I get talking about it, I'll talk forever. Yeah, far, 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 far from it. Far from it. Please tell me you're taking notes for the book, Jerry. Absolutely, that's it, Simon. Because I, I, I've said that, and I do. I, I, I keep good notes because it's an extraordinary story. Like I, I've been. I even as I, as I think back as as a kid and in Manor Street, which was quite essentially the north, you know, the north inner city. Uh, it was a tough hour. I went to Brunner, St. Brundrick Street, which is in. Uh, St. Paul's School there in North Brunswick Street, tough old school. We were great, but you know, the, I was always uh, I was in the middle of the fights in a good sense. I I, I love I always protected the bullies. I went after <laughs> the bullies that were protecting the kids. I mean, I always had that nature in me to never allow injustices, and that's what the boxing was always great because I boxed from a very young age. I started boxing originally down in Avona. 
great. Like, I mean, you had clubs there, you had Avona, obviously in Arbor Hill that shared, shared the same building. And then I, I went around to Phoenix Boxing Club because there was a lot at the same way. But, jeez, oh, I'd be often thinking about the spars and that that we had. And like at the time when I was boxing, when we were, four, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, in that my club alone, there was The Rocks, Paul Rock, Jim Rock, Kevin Lynch, and Tony David, the trainer, used to bring down his two brothers, PJ and, and uh, Tommy, who were pros. Like, and we were only kids and we were 15 Spartan pros. And you used to get a left hook and you wouldn't eat your dinner for a week after. <laughs> but, I mean, it was so tough, but so oh, compelling, like, to be learning from such good guys, the sense of teamwork, that, you, you know, the working together, the competition, we'd go to Saviors or we'd go, you know, we'd go up to these different clubs. And at the time, the, the Spartan was brutal but you were, you were cared for and I, I always remember these men like taking us away on trips to the UK and to Europe and, and the dedication of these trainers and, and you know taking us into their world and like, giving up the time you know and I was lucky I got my Irish titles got a couple of Irish titles had me we'd be certaires on the water this is my office where we where I'm, I'm talking to you from and I made my boxing certificates there from when I was under 18 champion of Ireland the U championships probably one of the highlights for me was um you know, I, I went to Ralphus then, uh, it was in the Box Cup in Norway. And this was only when we were starting to get a bit of our act together with, with proper kind of, you know, team training. And when we were going down the country or we were fighting, we were actually getting a tracksuit and a pair of runners instead of a trophy. We didn't have trophies to do us for a lifetime. So, you know, I, I went to Ralphus and I was boxing at Midland. You know, I actually got, I have it upstairs, I have to figure it out though. I actually got best boxer of the tournament and it was a 12 nation at the time, which middleweights were, it was only the little fast guys got it. And uh, it was great to get that, you know, and Johnny McCormick was the coach and I, from, from Saviors of, of the team that went. And I never forget the psychology. I think the fellow I was boxing in the final was at the doing very well. I was at having four or five fights to get to the final. You know, I remember saying to Johnny, who, who am I going to be boxing in the final and or what's he about? And, and Johnny just really casually said to me, Jesus, he said, he's the same as yourself. He's two hands and, he, I mean, he's a head and two legs. It's only up to you to use them better. So that was the team talk. That was the tactics going <laughs> in. You know what I mean? And just yeah. use your job. It's a good picture there, but I love, but that's why I've just some stuff lying around the place. Boxing, like, I used to love that trip. I boxed on that for many years. That was Dublin versus London every year with Ralphus and, um, excuse me, in the Repton Boxing Club. And, you know, when you think of the banter, like over there and how we were looked after, we were kids going over. And at the time, it was the 80s, and there was a lot of a lot of Irishmen doing great work over there in the building industry, you know what I mean? And it was all a dicky bow affair in the Barbican Centre, and we'd be brought along and paraded out, you know, the Dublin team. And you'd have all these Irish businessmen successful over there in their, in their suits, saying, are you going to win? i say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stop them in the second round. And if you did, they'd be giving you 30, 40 quid at the time. <laughs> Which was like, which was like winning the lotto because yeah. you 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 done the fight. So just amazing to meet them, you know. And when Stevie Collins came back from the states, uh, that time he used to spar with me a lot, and I'd be coming up there to start with 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 Stevie. A great picture, actually, me me and him. I tell you how long ago it was. And it was in the, uh, it wasn't the hurdle, it was the press, the, the press paper, if you remember that. And the two of us outside the Ambassador Cinema sparring for uh, Rocky Three. He was Irish uh, junior champion, and I was Irish youth champion. So fantastic. Rocky, Rocky, Rocky Four, Jerry. Oh, I've got it in front. Yeah, he went to Russia. I've got it. He, 
Rocky yeah. went to as many places as you did in your oh, career. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, like the boxing was just great. Like for me too, as I said, because a lot of me mates and ended up in trouble. And you know, I don't want to be the old cliche thing, but it was the reality. There was a lot. You know, it was an inner city area, and you know, there was drugs. It was a problem. It was a problem. But the boxing just gave you that confidence. You know. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like your unconventional childhood. There was yeah. no, there was no way you could nearly get in trouble because, like, you're surrounded by you know, eighties Dublin. We all know, like, you know, we all we. You watch Reading in the years now. It looks like a different. Looks like I know it's a different century. It looks like three or four. It looks like absolutely a different, a different world. And I, I slightly remember the kind of changeover and in, in, in Dublin things started to change. But um, you had such an unconventional childhood. You grew up around wild animals. You were a zookeeping family. You, you've, uh, you. I saw you on the Tommy Tiernan show there last year. You were saying yeah. you were. Um, you know, you were hand rearing lions and jaguars in the house and you'd hand reared a baby gorilla yourself and stuff. Yeah. And between that and then the, the gyms of Dublin and all, you probably didn't really get much of a chance to get in trouble. No, not really. As I said, that's where you, know, you were kept so active. And I was, you know, look, great thing was at the weekends because of me interest with the animals. That's all, all my spare time was up in the, up in the park. And then even when I started in the zoo, I was only young for 14, 15, too, in the pet's corner. Any of the squad training we used to do was in the garden depot with the early same. So I used to just have to walk out the back gate of the zoo and go across to the garden depot and do our squad training and come back. But, you know, it was. It was, it was a very, it was a wonderful childhood and that you know and you were kind of always the centre of attention but you know at school like I, mean, I brought lion cubs into school you know with me dad to the show the other or, or you know to, to what's happening in the Creighton house today with wolf cubs lion cubs gorillas orangutan chimpanzee it's different now and because now the animals are better taken care of and the, but you know there was a lot of hand reared next year I have a picture there yeah sorry look, look this is a great one. see the picture there with, with Jamie can you just I'll just show the lads I know we're I know we're only doing voice here but I'll just show you the kind of madness now this is me and me me Friday night many many years ago and that's with Jamie the, look at the chimp having his ice cream and me uh -huh. so yeah, lad, yeah. he was having his 99 ice cream as it came around obviously a few years ago but you know yeah it was it was such a positive thing to be growing up with you know and and I think animals are good for you. They're good for you at that age, both physically and psychologically, because certainly psychologically, you learn sentiment, you learn emotion that is not good at that age normally to do for boys because you have to be tough. You have to be this. You're in the boxing and you didn't show your weakness. But you could, you could go and you could cuddle an animal. And the more I think back of it, if more kids, and that's why I, I, I love when kids get involved with animals. I love when kids love animals. And I would always encourage people. My daughter's out here. What would you believe behind me? She's the snakes out the back here. We have snakes in the office. And she's, she's, as we speak, she's our snake out for exercise out in the garden. And it's really? the same thing with them. It's, uh, I, I just feel that, you know, particularly for young people, it's easier to love an animal than it is a person at that age and, or, or express it. You know, so I express it yeah, because yeah. the animal... Um, will never give you a negative consequence. Of, um, he's not going to snap at you. He's not going to give out to you or he's not going to give you what you don't expect. Like, you know, a dog will always wait at the door 365 days a year. Very complicated. It doesn't matter whether you come in and you're a manly suit or you come in in the nude, you're going to get the same response. Well, so a, I just feel... Yeah. <laughs> no, I just feel for me personally because, you know, like every childhood, I didn't have a perfect childhood. My own, you know, I do think back now and say, Jesus, my man, that were 24 and 23 have me. And then I think about where I was at that age. I say, how did they ever cope? You know what I'm saying? Well, I think certainly for animals, um, 
what they did for me was they allowed me that little bit of emotional stability because and it also gave you that responsibility because you wanted to see how they were. You wanted to go to the zoo next Saturday to see how the sick animal was or how the new animal was that was born or or the animal. You know, so there was always a, a, a draw towards positivity, if that makes sense, mm. you know. Here, here's Cupcake. I'm going to show you. I know her. Here's Cupcake. Okay. Uh, so, right, so Jerry's selling us a snake. This is a corn snake, guys, for the people listening. This is my daughter snake. Mia's here with me. She and we got we got um this uh this snake for Mia when she was only a baby. She's got to be sixteen soon, and she has about 12, 14 years. No way. Thirteen years for for what type, what type of a snake is it? That's a corn snake. That's a corn snake. As we show you more, there's more to come out. Bring it the cobra. Bring it. So that's the corn snake, and Mia <laughs> has that. We have three snakes, and I always um we three snakes, three geckos, three of everything. And I said to Mia one time, I got a bit of logic from her. I said, Mia, can you tell me one thing? Why do you always want three of everything? And she says, nah, well, she said, if one of them dies, they'll always have a friend. And that was it. Beautiful. Out the window for me. Troy answered that logic from yeah, a child. I, I said, no. deal done. When you boxed for, box for Phoenix, um, you had Tony yeah. Dabbitt. And it was Peter Glennon training as well? There was three Dabbitts. It was three Dabbitts. Yeah. Yeah. Tony was the main man. Obviously, Sean Wright was down there. But Peter, the, the reason I bring it up is because past guests have described Peter Glennon as being exactly like Mickey from Rocky. So I was wondering if he ever sent you across sent the lads across to the zoo there with you to chase the chickens around the field. We, we Honestly, we used to come here, we'd be training right in the bandstand across from the zoo, and we'd go in the zoo and have a run around the zoo and all, it was amazing. Like that, on a Sunday morning, we, we, we'd leave Phoenix, go up through the people's gardens, go in around the zoo, we'd run them back and forward at the lion areas, as the lions are running back and forward with me, there was plenty of the lads, myself, the rocks, as I say, remember Ray Payton, you know, and then lads from Avona would come up too, Christy Thornton, Ray, Ray Kane, all great fighters, you know, all full fires and as I said the Spartan and, and the camaraderie and the and, and the competition was fierce but we got on so well and just for the training like for us certainly in Phoenix all the runs were up, up from every night you'd run there up the Castle Knock Gate and back and you got the best of Vertiment in the city for training for boxing at that stage it, it was a wonderful yeah, like Tony like Davin like outpost, yeah. Tony was mad like you know as I said I mean in the most affectionate way like you know you'd be you'd be standing in the corner and you come back after the fourth round. I remember I was fighting in the finals of the, the Dublin Leagues. And I thought I was after having a great fourth round, you know, and I come back and, and Tony Davitt said to me, yeah, do you know him? I says, well, what do you mean, Tony? Do you know him? Yeah, you're only effing short of kissing him and hugging him. You see, like, you're like a long lost friend. I'm looking, saying, what the name is you? Why don't you go out the next time and give him a bigger kiss? And this was Tony's way to say, get out there, you better do something. Billy Walsh said the same thing. He remember we had he was telling that uh, he was in the corner once and Billy and Tony goes up and he goes, Do you like him or something? Do you like him? Yeah, yeah honestly, Jesus. So that's the way he was. Like he back, he, I'd never ever Tony ever coming back and where you know you were winning fights hands down. I'd never come back and you'd say, Tony, how am I doing? I did all right. Brutal, brutal. Jesus Christ, brutal. You could have hit him, you know, you hit him ten, you know, you hit him ten times. Why didn't you hit him eleven? But it was him. It was great. And it wasn't actually very motivational. But an amazing man, like his dedication to boxing and his dedication is and I'm very lucky now. My own son, who's uh Zach, Zach Creighton, who's uh he's gonna be eleven in August, is absolutely flying. He's actually far better than I even was at that age. He's got a great boxing IQ, boxing brain, down in Corinthians, lovely style, you know, thinks everything through. We're actually going over to Derby this weekend with Corinthians on a, on a training camp, which is great. So I'm going with him and, you know, to keep the interest. Tomorrow we're going up to Pascal Collins' gym 
to see uh, the Spartan, the pro Spartan, and Pascal gives him a few rounds on the pads as well, which is brilliant. Like, you know, he's 10, yeah. 11 years old and being exposed to, to to see this kind of training is, is phenomenal, you know? The boxing is like a pack like that, isn't it? You all stick, to, there's a lot of people stick together, particularly in Dublin boxing and down the country as well. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And and it's kind of the great thing is, you certainly for me, because obviously you'd be away and you were doing things and preoccupied. But I remember going back up to Pascal's gym or going back into gyms across the city that I hadn't seen fellas in years. And then within minutes, a conversation. Remember we were on this trip. Remember we done this trip. And then all of a sudden it's like the time is immaterial. You know, it's all, of, it's just come all back to yeah. you. That, 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 that bond that's there within the box. And, you know, the, and, you know, when you think about it and, and you think of what it's done for, for kids in Dublin, you know, as I said, that discipline and, and uh, it has been immense. And, you know, I, I've just great memories, as I said, boxing and all over Europe, you know, boxing all over the UK, you know, getting the opportunities. I remember, when we were we used to stay and with the Repton Boxing Club, we'd we and go over for the fight in the Barbican Centre, as we mentioned. We'd stay on Canning Town Road um, the, at the East India Dock, and it was above the Royal Oak Pub, and that was where uh, uh, it was an old seaman's club right beside the Royal Oak Pub, I should say. An, old, an awful place to stay. Well, we didn't care we were kids, but right next door was the Royal Oak Pub. Above it was where Frank Bruno and all trained. And we used to be brought in there like 14, 15. I remember looking at Bruno and there were like lumps on his stomach, the muscles. There was him, Gary Mason, Mark Kaler, pros that we were brought in. We go up to Charlie Magri's shop then um, up the road. He was a pro boxer then to buy our stuff. And, and just the, the way they used to treat us was phenomenal. But, you know, they were looking at guys that you were seeing on telly and, and you were in the same gym as them, you know, training with them. And it was just extraordinary. So, you know, yeah. Like, you'd have someone in common with them as well you'd be able to meet uh, the likes of Bruno and you could probably hit it off straight away have a conversation because you've been in the same been through similar experiences everybody has to come up yeah and uh, that's the great thing as you know like even as I say when I bring Zach into the gyms now and you know th- with, with the opportunities the guys are great you know and because you know it is they, they're just like I said they're coming up they were, they came up through the ranks they remember they've, you know they've. The, I've never met one of them that has a you know like a prima donna attitude they're always there to help uh, whatever level, whatever the kid comes in, you know, to give good advice, to give good support. So, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, as I said, between the boxing and, and the zoo and now my own consultancy, I'm very happy at what I, where I am and what I've achieved. And, and going forward, it's uh, it's great. It's great to be going away now, as I said, with the Corinthians Club this weekend, bringing kids on a training camp. Fabulous stuff and to be yeah. still involved. Was the under-18s win um, your career highlight? And, and what happened at senior that you didn't, Go on to maybe you know. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I had, I had boxed that. I had boxed that senior level, but the, it was it was a crossroads then, Kevin, for me. Yeah, um, the, the the zoo like unfortunately it was like a week. You know, the Unity worked every weekend at that age, mm. and it was hard to get time off. And you know, you you needed money, um, so it was. It was a decision of how, how how much I could do and how much I couldn't do, and uh, I really then like the, I was I was doing so well in the zoo. I was getting great opportunities there, and I had to say I either you know, can keep continuing boxing because the zoo you 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 could have a sick animal or a baby animal born and training goes out the window for that night because so and the commitment level that I was needed for it to be you know a successful full time senior boxer, I, I I just couldn't give it. 
I just and it wasn't that I, I I didn't want it. I just couldn't give it because you know they I had taken and uh, the zoo. My, my career was progressing from a keeper, became a team leader before becoming operations manager, and it was just taking up so much time then with the zoo. And you know you you go in in the morning with the zoo, and it was never a job that you could say I'm going to finish a half hour today. I'll go home and have a cup of tea. I'll put my feet up, and then I go I go to the boxing. It was that Jerry, you needed here, you needed there, and you know, and particularly in the peak summer times, and so. It would be, it would became a little bit difficult and and I kind of you had to say okay where you know you you need money yeah you know you need money for going out you need money for living you need money for everything else so it was just then I said okay well I'm gonna really put myself into yeah. the into I the zoo tell, I can tell from speaking to you that there's no regrets about your decision and, and working in the zoo is has been, you know, probably everything you've ever dreamed of. And now your current career is flying as well. But did, did you look at any of the Olympic teams? Was it maybe the, the ADA team or something like that and say, right, that's the one I could have. Yeah, you know, actually, it, was, yeah it was the one. It was Atlanta and that, you know, it was. And, you know, you were at the winning the Irish time. You were getting lots of good things being said about you. The multi-nations gold medal was, it was a huge achievement at the time because this was before any high performance. And we went away and, you know, you were saying, I thought you'd often look back and say, okay, you know, towards the end of it, I, um, me, me interest became, or, or me, me ability to function, you know, um, with the training and support the training became diluted too much. And I'd say, Jesus, maybe for another year or two, I should have really given it everything. But then, you know, you look back and you'd say, well, hang on now, look where I am. You know, I, I have an international recognition for the work I'm doing. My reputation is, 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 is really good, you know, throughout zoos, throughout the world for the, for the work that I'm trying to do. And it's, it's kind of only now at the beginning of a new journey for me. Um, in terms of the consultancy role, and already it's been embraced globally. I've people ringing me every day uh, from all parts of the world, and saying we need you on board. You know, so you know there's, there's a chance now to influence my sons and my daughters' future. So you know, in, in, in the balance, came, the boxing um, absolutely had an incredible part in forming the person I am today and how I view people, how I view life, the confidence it gave me, um, the discipline it gave me, the opportunities it gave me. And, it, you know, it gave me that to be able to compare it at that stage of my career. I want to be a boxer. I want to be at the zoo. Um, to have to have the choices um, was actually very beneficial now when I look back. You know, rather than saying, oh, I'll just go on and drift onto the zoo because my old man did it. It wasn't. It was what I wanted to yeah. do. And 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 now to be in a you know a role as I say and for me Kevin it's amazing like as I said I I'm incredibly passionate about animals and like one day I do I'd be fascinated and I'd be thinking how my week was and one day like for example I'd be in front of a crash of kids four or five year old we're talking about animals and 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 simplifying the language to the language they'll understand the next day I could be a keynote speaker with professionals in a college in a government somewhere in the USA talking to high-end um, intellectual people and really being able to hold, hold my own and, and inspire them and listen to. So the variations in how I can um, get my message across and change my therapy to speak, to speak about something I'm passionate about, communicate about what we can do to help this world because it needs all the help, trust me. And um, to be able to use my knowledge and my passion and uh, to, to, to get on, like I'm, I'm I'm going over to America again now in October, and it's called the Irish Table in Cincinnati. And when I say the Irish Table, it's a it's a group of big, um, successful businessmen of Irish extraction from from the Cincinnati area, and they want to bring me over 
to talk about, you know, conservation and how I do, what I can do, what I've done for them um, in terms of helping the Cincinnati Zoo. And so the opportunities that are coming always my way is incredible and I have to take stock and say you know I left school at 15 I had to do my intro I couldn't wait to go because I couldn't you know want to get to the zoo but I think what I'm trying to say too for anyone that is listening there certainly if any of the younger generation education is absolutely wonderful it's very important it is nowadays now but you know it, what the real thing is what's in your heart and what your passion is and and you know I, I always say people say well what do I need to do to be work with animals or be a zookeeper well you know, you need to have that affinity. I mean, I've had, and I mean this respectfully, though, I've had I've had students come from toward level education in Trinity College, and they've decided when they were twenty one, oh, I want to be work with animals. It doesn't work like that. You know, the affinity, the affinity has to be there from a young age. The, that understanding, and you know, so you know, everyone you can achieve it. You know, and that's what I would say. But I think any young person that that. Uh, wants to do well, have some affiliation with sport. And I think what boxing, you know, as I say, the boxing does is it's such a strong community spirit. It's such a good thing for confidence. You know, the kids that come out of the boxing club that walk through the tough neighborhoods are left alone. They're left alone for obvious reasons. And, and they're left alone because they have a support, they have a discipline. You know I mean? I, I always... I always got out of fights because people knew, like even when you were in school, and the, the little natural hierarchies or dominance, you'd say, you get, stay out of his way. He's a boxer, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and this is great because yeah. you didn't have to, you, you know, because you don't have to fight. Yeah, you didn't have to. And as I say, then and what I, I remember, all, all the the, the I, I don't want to make this sound disrespectful. All the weaker people in the in the class, or the or the people that were picked on, or why well, you know, they always come under me wing because they knew that you know you were able to give them a bit of, and that's what. I, I, I prided myself in that the boxing gave me the confidence to help myself and to help other people. And I think that's 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 the key thing, lads. It's it, so I can never recommend it enough. And I think just to see the evolution of boxing, particularly in Dublin, Bernard Dunn is a good friend of mine too. And when he was up in the high performance, I was able to bring Zach up there. But to look at the facilities that they have now is extraordinary. And you wonder, you were, you spoke about Billy Walsh earlier on. Here's a good one for you too. And then Billy, I hope he gets to hear this one point. I'm in a bar in Colorado about three, four years ago. Uh, I'm over there at a workshop about elephants. I'm looking at this fellow down the end of the bar and he's looking at me and he said, Jerry Crane. I said, Jesus, Billy Walsh. <laughs> so Billy comes run, running up the bar to me. What are you doing here? I knew he'd been over there with the, with the American team because it was great. And when Billy... Good few years ago, they were when they were increasing the international competitions. They had a thing called the the, the, the Boxing World Cup, where it was held in different countries. And Billy boxed for Ireland in India. It was the, the World Box Cup. And myself and a, and a really good middleweight at the time, Dennis Galvin from Moat, were brought yeah, down. Yeah, we know as, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Myself and Billy were brought down as, or excuse me, myself and Dennis were brought down as Billy Sparden partners down to to Wexford. We stayed in Wexford Town for a couple of weeks in the B and B. Nicholas Cruz. Was uh was running us hard every morning. Boyges was tough. We'd run the beaches of Curraclow. Then we'd be sparring with Billy, putting Billy through his paces and rounds. And James Billy could hit too. Like you know, Billy was a a powerful. The left hook off Billy was, and he was a great guy. But we were training nonstop. But Nicholas used to torment us. But Dennis Galvin was a bit of a messer too. And he were saying he's going to kill us, Nicholas. He's killing us with this training. We need to get at least one day off. How are we going to do it? But you know, they used to give us laxatives, of course. You know, to try keep your system all moving and everything. And we broke up about. 
three or four laxative and we put them in Nicholas Cruz's breakfast and by 11 o'clock that morning training was called off and we were all winking at each other myself, Billy and, uh, and, and Dennis Cavan that is a true story and we got we managed to get a day off training it's okay boys Nicholas was great it's okay boys just take it easy today we have a little bit of a rest and Nicholas was never too far from the toilet but he'd probably kill me now if he ever sees me again but that is true but Annie would you believe it here's a good one for you Talking with Billy, what are you doing over here, Jay? I said, I'm at a workshop, Billy, talking about elephants and elephant welfare and how we can improve it and how things can change. And I says, you never guess what's going to happen now. He says, well, I said, tomorrow you're going to talk on it. Because that talk you give on high performance and motivation would be brilliant. And all of a sudden, the very next day, Billy's up in, this, in, the, in the Denver Zoo, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, 7,000 meters up. And he's looking at me saying, Creighton, how am I here talking to, <laughs> to a room full of elephant people? And the talk was absolutely brilliant. Kev. They loved it. Because Billy's a great communicator and he talked about his own career and how, you know, high performance and motivation and and even the, the elephant people that were there from all over the US were saying, Jesus, Jay, this guy is great. And it was a wonderful talk, but plucked out of nowhere, you know, it was great. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing what boxing is, yeah, can do and the, the, the career opportunities that can open up. Like Billy, you know, worked, worked as a milkman earlier on in his career as well. Yeah. And look where he is now, a world-leading high-performance. Absolutely uh, brilliant. Like, as I say, we regularly still have a message on LinkedIn to one another. And he, you know, we, we, we congratulate or he'd say, yeah, well done, Jerry, or I'd say to him. So, but it was just great. And I need you know, to see him. I hadn't seen him in a few years, been at over the States. And honestly, just sitting there, I said, that Billy was, that's <laughs> Jerry Creighton. And then we never left each other over the night. Great conversation. You, you bring up uh, you bring up Dennis Gavin. I just, I just was harking back to a story Paul Griffin told us about uh, shaving his eyebrows off on the way over to the World Championships and on the way back as well. Yeah, yeah. Dennis was a good fighter too. Like he won a couple of senior titles and he was a heavy hair. Like, geez, he was a great fellow too. He, he was from the Mo Boxing Club, if I remember rightly. He only mm. down in... Down in Westmead, uh, but he used to quote his own, but it was great. Like, as I say, that, that, that kind of comradeship and, and that kind of fun. And, and as I say, the, the great thing is about the people, but you don't, you don't have to see them for years. And when you see them, it's like it, nothing matters anymore. Let's yeah. sit down, let's have a beer, let's have a chat, let's communicate. And that's what is great. And I can even just see it in my own son, like, you know, and I mean, oh, every father's proud and all that, but you can see with the confidence of a 10 year old or 11 year old with the box and how he carries himself and you know, how he, how he, he behaves or how he reacts to situations. And he, he's been boxing since he, he's three or four now and, you know, like been training and, and you can see what it does for him in terms of the confidence. And that's why I, I just think it's wonderful. I think any year or any day or any month or any hour spent in a boxing club is never wasted. Absolutely. Simon, did, did you have a question there? Uh, I did. Once once he throws Nicholas Cruz, I think I can go. Yeah, but they were just you know. But it was tough days though too. God, I remember when you you when you were thinking like you know to be to be to be twenty was in the back of a high age van going up to Belfast for a boxing match. Uh, you know, but it was it was just brilliant, like the, the the attitude and how you were even looked after. Like I remember going into the areas of Belfast and like where the boxing just trans- transcended the political divide. Like we were on the Shank Hill Road and we were. I remember going up to one club up there and literally, you know, all the all the whole place barred up and you were literally knocking on the door waiting for someone to go in. But when you were in there, the atmosphere, the boxers, how they were treated, how we were looked after, how we responded, you know, how it was able to break down the barriers even then of and and 
thankfully things are an awful lot better. And uh, but it was it had that ability. It was a unique form of communication, wasn't it? Boxing was a, yeah. a, a new Knock, knocking lumps out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's yeah, broken no. down barriers for I suppose for like Irish travellers in sectarianism, and now like with you know refugees and asylum seekers coming into the country as well. It's breaking down barriers as well. You look at the new champion of Europe at middleweight. You're all weight there is is a guy who was you know, born in a refugee camp, Gabriel Dawson, tremendous boxer. I was just wondering, who's the best, who's the best you fought in your career? Um, there were some really good fighters, you know, there was, there was some lots of really good fighters around Dublin at the time that were so, so tough. Um, I'm trying to think, there was a guy that definitely platooned that I boxed in, in, in the UK, um, and he was really, really tough. Yeah, but in Ireland, I, I, I had a couple of good rivalries with, you know, there was um, Noel, what's Noel's second name again? Uh Jesus, come to me in a second. I was only talking to his brother recently, and uh, he he was a very good fighter, you know. Uh, but it was just the Spartan sessions with Ray Kane, Chrissy Torrent, and that you know was was a very tough fighter. Um, there was a lot of good ones, you know. As I said, we were we were in but such tough spars, you know. At that time, even the spars were harder than most of the fights. That yeah, and then it was it was, it was interesting to change. I remember the uh, the first time I boxed in Jersey. Uh, I bought I was boxing in Jersey, and one of the first times the headgear was being used, and uh, I had a big scare there for it, but it was a buckle on it and the was only buckled and then the them days they weren't like the velcro the buckles it was embedded into my chin where I was not getting hit with a hook <laughs> but um but some of the spars that like even in them days going over and training in the gyms in England the spars were, were incredible but there was uh, quite a few tough fights but I mean, even Spartan fellas in, like the Armands like Gregory Armand that now that were lighter than you but Jeannie Mac would tell you would it be tough spars yeah. and you'd, you'd come out and there was no ah. place for the Fast and accurate, you know, they're yeah. landing bombs on your chin. It's not, yeah, you're exactly. Not just, just so it was so, so tough, as I said. And there was a lot of the rock brothers, it was Chris, Paul Rock, Jim Rock. You know, Jim was a pro, you know, he went on. And but we'd all trained together, we'd all come down. I, I moved out to Blanchestown together. His dad bring us down, he was part of the club. And it was just a great sense of of, of, of friendship. And you know, it was be great to see these people together. But it was, you know, the training then when it came in, it was great when the bit of structure started coming into it, when there was a bit of squad training and you know like we thought it was unbelievable when we went down to help Billy that time was saying we were getting our one our laundry done and we were getting our meals and we were getting this and that that was the kind of start of saying you know we need to start helping them a little bit more and now like as you say you know we know the, the part of the point where how, how well above our weight we're punching both globally and what a, what a, what an achievement and and then you know you see people like Kelly Harrington and Katie Taylor Katie's been up the zoo with me she came up with our manager Brian Pierce for a walk around and Zach was up at the zoo too and I have a great picture of Zach has his club medal from Cabra Boxing Club when he was boxing on the shoulder and 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 she has it around her neck and she brought up her Olympic gold medal to show him and he has her medal around so and then you look what Kelly Harrington is doing and like you know we get regular texts from Kelly Come down to come down to uh, the club or the, the the fields there at the back of Corinthians, and she's doing these sessions with the mm. kids now nearly every week. You know, giving so much back, and giving you know, inspiring a whole new generation. The pro game is really looking healthy. You know, you got you so many coming through that you want to play so early. Different kids around the city that you know is just going to inspire people further. So it, it's it's great um, that the, the kids have, particularly in you know, it is still very much, I think, you know, certain areas of Dublin that will be more attracted to to boxing than other areas, you know, as we know. But, you know, it, it, it's so critical that we have these people, these inspirations, and, you know, like when people look at the and say, wow, look what these are achieving, it definitely inspires, because all the boxing clubs are packed. 
all the boxing clubs are yeah, packed. Yeah, they seem to be out the gate. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, which is great, and it's no, it's no, it's not by, uh, it's not by any, by freak accident. It's because of the likes of the Katie Taylors. Like it was great. I was over at the fight in Madison Square Garden, their last fight. Oh way. man, unbelievable! Like you know, we went over and a few friends and the Irish again. Like you know, we we are, we, we are. Uh, you know, you look back and even though you're Irish, and you're looking at the attitude of people and around the bars and after the fight in the streets and. The color that we brought to the event, they, they you know so well beha- you know, behaved, the fun, just there to enjoy themselves. And but to see uh, when Katie came out that time and the, you know, to look around, she could see her just looking around and what uh, you, know, you could see she was totally overwhelmed by it. But to be there, uh, uh, you know, at a, a boxing classic like that, and to see you know that you come from a country less than five million people, this has been watched around the world. What it's doing for the country, the pride of the people, and to see what somebody can achieve with this. Discipline, dedication, determination is 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 remarkable, and you know it's still great to be to witness that and see it happening. Great yeah, stuff, and, yeah. and she, she came back from the brink. I know that fight. You know she was nearly done, and the fact that she came back. And so I when I was fifty yards from it, and I looked at me mate at the fourth round, and I'm telling you if, now, if I had to be, you know, Brian Peters, our manager, is a very good friend of mine. I was only talking to Brian for an hour this morning on the on on, on the phone, and. Um, but it, it, I thought in the fourth round, another minute, it was a two-minute round, it was a three-minute round, she was gone. But listen, that's what champions are about, isn't it? You know, that's where it would come back. And then you look at how, that, you know, that tenth and the, and the final round, and like she putting them combinations together. Like, you know, and like absolute warrior stuff, like, you know, brilliant. And, you know, the, the level and the science and the discipline and the humility and that she brings to the sport, you know, I think is phenomenal. And, and you know, when, when you're a boxing person and you look at the speed, the combinations that are coming together, which is incredible. So, you know, we're in a good place. I have to say I'm pretty disappointed now with Serrano and Jake Paul for all their talk that we, we're not getting the Croke Park fight. I mean, Europe, yeah, European yeah. fighters go out from America all the time. They have all the advantages. And the one time in a close fight, we're going to come back, which will, this would have been the biggest fight in women's history on top of what was just the biggest fight in women's history. Yeah. And they, 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 they ran, you know, there's no two ways about it. They ran from it. Yeah, no, definitely. They, they, they knew it. And I think, you know, but I think as well, I, I just hope, I just hope in, in terms of what, for the Irish people, for Katie Taylor, for, for, you know, her legacy, that she does get the fight in, in Crow Park or in Holmes. We deserve to see it. She deserves to get it. You know what I mean? Our, our 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 hometown and association to see you know a champion of that caliber in our lifetime, you know, in front of our people, I, sh- I it should happen. And I've said that to Brian, and he he says uh, he still is very optimistic um, that it will happen. And that was only as I said, we had a chat this morning, and he said no. And it just came up again as it does in, in boxing conversations. And he said no. He said um, it just he has to make other people. That are, he he works with realize how how important it is, and I think that will happen. You know, it'd be lovely to see it because uh, wow, because you just imagine the atmosphere. Well, hopefully, I was only reading for a different story. Uh, reading overall quotes from her, and he's kind of putting out, oh, you know, I work for these people. I'm not their boss. They're my boss. And he said, Katie Taylor is the one who frightens me the most, more than Joshua yeah. or anybody else. But I wish that could. Uh, I wish that attitude was actually the reality, and there was the realization that well, I gotta I gotta deliver this for my fighter, but not to say. He hasn't delivered big things for Katie Taylor already in her career, but this is something that needs to be happening. The uh, yeah. the, re- the rewilding of Katie Taylor 
from the, well, from the, the, yeah, the zoos of the world back to and she, she's territory. absolutely animal crazy like she came up to the zoo with us and we took her around and you know she she she's very aware of you know she she's a girl, a girl that's totally in touch with the reality of, of the, the threats to the natural world and and the role of conservation and she she speaks very highly of of the zoo and she was really keen when we were there our mom was there and and, and Zach came around with me and uh, it was great we had a, a ramble around the zoo so yeah it was great to see her and to see her interest and, and and you know she's just such a lovely person to be in our company. She, you know she, she just uh, she's a joy and she, she just epitomizes everything. That's you know the control, the discipline, about a remarkable fighter. Kerry, what future do elephants have on planet Earth? Uh, you sound yeah. like a natural optimist here, and you're no, doing your best you what, to help. No, I tell you what, here's the reality for you, okay? And you too, Simon. Here's the reality. I think we start talking 45, 46 minutes ago, maybe. Okay, in that time, there's been four African elephants killed. Fact, right? They, now they've been butchered and killed in that. In since we four have been killed and shot, we probably clashed the cough rifles or um, somewhere in Africa. Every 15 minutes, an African elephant is killed. There's still huge demand for their ivory, um, you know, in, in countries all over the world. New York, would you believe, it, um, because of the, the Asian community there, uh, is a huge hub for, for, for uh, still for ivory. There's still been a lot. Now, the only thing it does, what it does offer me hope is I've been to China. I've been to see that there's only 250 wild elephants in, in China now left, but I've managed to see them in the Sichuan Bana down the south, not the mall. I've got to see uh, but. That's why we need good zoos like, you know, the work that's doing with Dublin Zoo. Um, but it has to be that you understand the animal. The biology of the animal dictates how you design them nowadays. So they have to be able to sleep, locomotion, movement, overhead feeding, sleeping on sand floors. Now we use sand floors. It's like memory foam mattress for elephants. They snuggle into it. It fits with the contour of their body. They sleep well. They eat well. So we can carry, we can carry the, uh, but in the wild, I mean, the race for space is a huge issue. India, is going to surpass China as the um, as as the population continues to grow in that country. There is no such thing as the wild. Even the national park in India, where I was, the Kaziranga, I was there with the guards. We tracked the herd of elephants. They were going towards the motorways. We had to dash with the motorway to the motorways with the armed guards and stop the traffic to allow the elephants to pass across a road that they've been doing for thousands of years. Because uh, when the elephants come, everybody wants to get out of the car, beat their horns and take selfies with them. And then people get killed. The human elephant conflict is awful. So, you know, um, elephants, uh, like all, like many species, as I say, are, 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 are being eroded on a daily basis, are being extinguished, exterminated, all for human greed. So that's why the importance and role of the modern zoo is critical. It's critical that we, we have vision and plans to support the elephants. To, but, you know, you have to support the communities that support you, know, that live there too. It's very easy for me to say, okay, you know, don't shoot an elephant or don't shoot a tiger and sell the body parts when I can jump into McDonald's and make car and get fed. These people, you know, live on in the likes of Indonesia and China, Malaysia, $100 a year. So you shoot a tiger, uh, you know, it's going to get you an extra $50. Now, if I had six kids in a mud hut, um, I'd kill a tiger to support my family absolutely and so would you so would you and don't say you would because you would because they're different circumstances so what we need to do is get in there get in with the villages like get to the villages like this is what some of the work again that Dublin Zoo is doing supporting the villages get them to make arts and crafts that you can sell in your zoo shop show them different sources of revenue give them a piece of plot of land so the role of the modern zoo has to be far um, but a lot of for a lot of wildlife it is grim but there's a lot of good people out there working for it 
culture is a terrible thing as well in terms of what's happening, um, lads. Like you go to India, the temple elephants that are taken out for these massive displays and they put on these beautiful costumes and bells. And these elephants come out for two or three um, hours a day. But they take the big tuskers, the ones with the big tusks. And um, these are bull elephants and they'll never breed because they're, they're, they they beat them into a submission and dominance. And then when they when they go away from the temple, they're chained in a, in a, in a, a, a blank concrete barren cell with no stimulus, concrete floor that they can't lay down on, um, with, with chains. There's a wonderful um, documentary, if you ever get time to have it, it's called Gods and Shackles. And look at it, look at it, and you'll see what, what culture is doing to one of the most beautiful, empathetic, iconic animals in the world. So we've a lot to learn, we've a lot to learn globally, but there's a lot of good people out there, lads, and we'll do it, you know, and my daughter's here, Mia, and hopefully she's going to follow in the footsteps. She's very keen on conservation, she's very keen on making a difference and that's where the future is the future is in the next generation and that's what inspires me because I've been to China and the kids that are there um, from the colleges I don't want to have a piece of ivory or a piece of rhino horn like rhinos are being butchered rhino horn is carotene the exact same substance as the human nail you know what I mean and that's been used for aphrodisiac cancers so there's a lot of education happening there's a lot of good work but we're you know we're only at the bottom of the hill in terms of the decline in species you know there's 14,000 species on the brink of extinction so you know get out there support the zoo but care plant the tree I mean I know you know it sounds ridiculous but plant the tree in your back garden mm. or where you know there's a bit of space and taking the carbon you know the carbon monoxide out of the air you know, and please be like for the next generation of kids have a conservation mind the plastics the reusables all it all makes a difference it's not just say oh, I won't make a difference but well no you, you will but and then if a hundred people on your road are doing it or a thousand people in your estate or a thousand people in your neighborhood it's making a difference you know what I mean? So we got to help protect the natural world. Um, and hopefully we will. And that's why, you know, Global Elephant Care, why companies going out there, we'll help elephants anywhere, anywhere we can, um, in the home range countries, in zoos, anywhere that they need help or support, we will be there to offer the best thing we can do to help them and help them as a species and conserve them. Simon, did you have your hand up? Or did, it, did the moment pass? No, I was just going to add in, you're talking about the, you know, Asian communities. I mean, you mentioned it's keratin. Many of these gobshites going to understand that it has no nicotine or aphrodisiac or caffeine related. Yeah. You know what I mean? It surely comes down to education and just the, the, the nonsense that these people either believe in or are told when this substance yeah. really does nothing. No, but as I say, thankfully, look enough, as I said, Simon, the next generation in China are starting to understand the science behind the, the, these claims and say, well, you know, it's keratine. It's a, it's, a, it's a hair that grows with a glue that forms a horn on a rhino's body. It doesn't have these, you know, the, it doesn't have these healing cancerous or aphrodisiac, you know, and that the ivory of the elephant belongs on the elephant. But, you know, it's not, it's not you know, it's not even that. Like, even the, these killings, like, you know, uh, and I find it hard to, 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 I struggle with it greatly. Like, you got a guy sitting in an office well okay we just pick you know new york or california or i need a big major cities across europe and he's sitting there he's a successful businessman his business is you know he's, he's making a lot of books and he's saying he's ringing up his buddies okay yeah the flights are organized they go to africa they jump in a helicopter they go into a a, a, a a reserve, they put a bullet between an elephant's head, they drop the elephant to the ground, an elephant that could be 30, 40 years old. They destroy and decimate a family unit because they, they that's how they work. There's a loss when there's a member and the structure breaks down. They get a shot with the elephant, get a picture, literally, 
and it's hanging on their office wall. They pay 50, 60, 70, up to $100,000 for this to put a bullet in an elephant's head. You know, come on, these canned hunts, like, think about it. And this is, well, you know, I would, hopefully when some people um, listen to our podcast, they think about what you do when you go to Thailand, you know, riding elephants. Yeah, I mean, elephants aren't trained to be to be ridden. You can't ride an elephant. What you have there is a consequence of abuse. An animal is taken away or neonatal. Its spirit has been devastated, been crushed and been broken to allow people to sit on its back. So it understands. And you see it very discreetly. The mahouts now, because years ago, they used to carry the, this, the anchor's hook. And it was a big pear shape. They would hit soft spots behind the elephant's ear its genital region, on the inside of its leg, and um, pressure points to make the elephant. The elephant's understood. If I don't comp- if I don't conform here, I get this. So nowadays, even over there, they'll use small, sharp um, pens, or excuse me, nails that you can't see, but they'll still stick them into the elephants. And so, you know, people need to be aware, and we all have a role to play. If you go to Thailand and you're getting... Um, yeah, you're an accessory to a crime as far as I'm concerned. Well, because I, that- I, I, got it. I, I did it that... 12, 13 years ago. So I got to hold my hand up. I'm guilty, but I wouldn't do it nowadays, but I'm probably better educated on this. But that's subject. okay. That's the point, Kev. That's what I was going to say. The point is education. Now, what I'm saying is check out, you know, if you're going to do that. And we all know the magnet, the, the magnetism that animals have, you know, the, the, the desire to, to, to stand beside a tiger or an elephant or a lion. But think of the consequences that it has for these temple tigers too, which are, which are sedated or drugged. Um, you know what I mean? And these elephants and then that are ridden and then they, 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 they you know, they're, they're working for 20 hours a day and then they're stuck in their chain in a stall. And so, you know, we have to make these conscientious decisions um, or, or at the very least, investigate, determine what it, what is you know ethical tourism, and and play your part. That's we all need to play our part. And I'm sorry to be going on about it and sound like a, fill you know like yeah, it's, it's the most it's the most important part of the podcast. We've heard the stories of you know we've yeah. heard the stories about boxing and we've heard about you know your beginning and passion for the zoo. But this is the mo- this is the most important part, isn't it? How can how can people? Yeah, I mean, that is as you say, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't have to be that, you know, you, you you examine your own conscience, what you're buying. Like one of the biggest things that's affecting our world too is palm oil production. Palm oil production every day. And even since we've been speaking again, we're on, we're almost an hour now. There's probably been a, an area the size of 10 football pitches being excavated for palm oil, which means forests being cut down, the orangutans in Borneo and Sumatra can no longer climb in the trees. And this is for palm oil production. So palm oil production, but what is palm oil? Palm oil is exactly what goes into biscuits, chocolates, Oreos, all this. There's a whole range of stuff, soaps that we're using every day and we're using them and they're directly linked to the devastation of this planet the environment, the air, and the animals that live in it and the people that occupy it. So, you know, you see, you need to really start making conscientious decisions about where, what you buy, when you purchase it, and why you purchase it. Because there is plenty of alternatives. Chester, for example, in England, is the first city in the UK, and I think actually in Europe, to be palm oil free. Now, there's an achievement that the actual people in the city that run the city and advise the city said, Enough is enough. They have a wonderful zoo here. We can have alternative products or we can make them that there isn't being trees and devastated landscapes and animals. You see devastating pictures of an orangutan climbing on a on an excavation machine because there's no more trees left. So all I'm saying is, you know, may, please make a conscientious decision and collectively we can make a difference to help the world. I'd like to see one of those uh, 
big game, so-called big game hunters, but really like corporate dentists or whatever. I'd like to see one of them put in a ring with uh, well, exactly, yourself, well, you Jerry, know, first for three well, minutes. Exactly, Kevin. I'd love three minutes in any ring with him. But, you know, you just think, of, you know, you, you, I don't know, maybe, I, I, maybe I'm just far off the raft. Can you, can can anybody understand the reason why you'd want to take out, you know, a 375 high-velocity rifle, stand there and 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 break down a whole family structure it's, because, you know, as I say, there's matriarchs, there's, there's elephant structure is, is, is a fusion, fusion society, but the core of the elephant society is mother, baby, and related elephants. So you take one out, there's a huge consequence. For a picture to hang in your office, come on. Anyway, don't get me going. Yeah, <laughs> ready, to, ready to fight now. Um, yeah, get the gloves. <laughs> Where were you last in the ring, Jerry, before we let you go? I, I still, as I say, lovely guy doing a bit. I had a, I, 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 I done a, a charity event of, I think it was four or five years ago in Abbey Street, some sort of a club there for a benefit night. It was great. It was a good fact, just on the you know, three or four rounds exhibition and that. But um, I have not said as it should be, and that's what it's, it's just purely from work, although the work is a good environment. But, you know, it's great. Same, I'm, going to get, I'm going to get back into it fairly soon. I just, it's just lovely to keep it, but it's just lovely to be around that environment. And, you know, what well, it is inspiring to see. I love just looking at these little boys and girls now in the kid. You're looking at it, that she's going to be a great little fighter. This kid is going to be a great little fighter. And to see these these little diamonds that are, are waiting to be shaped for the future. And just to see them communicate with one another, to play, like the division, like what boxing has done, even to bring because you remember when we were kids, like boys and girls just didn't really mix, you know, except at birthday parties and things. But now, like you see, like my own young fella, like he's he said, Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm going sparring with Addison or I'm gonna knock down or I'm training and it's just brilliant what it does. There's no no there's no you know little rivalries or little things, everything is just we're all part of the one team. So that's the uniqueness of boxing and, and what it's done. And you know, you got you, you got to sit back and reflect and, and see what it's done for our city, our country, our, our culture as a people. It's been remarkable. Jerry, I feel like we could go on talking all day. Simon, you're gonna have to add before we hit the road. No, no, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> well, Kevin, I told you, you the only problem you'd have is shutting me up. But <laughs> listen, we can we can do it all again. You know, there are subjects that I'm delighted for the opportunity to talk about. Boxing was a huge part of my life. Animals, elephants, the natural world are and will continue to be. Sure, maybe we'll catch up for another update again. Hanging around with wild animals from the boxing <laughs> scene to the zoo. That's kind of that's. What, I was trying to slip that one in all day, but yeah, I, love it. <laughs> I wanted to ask if you ever stuff. boxed a kangaroo, but I mean. Kind of but you know really. that's funny that's twice that story would you be here's a good again Pascal Collins was on the phone to me earlier and I was talking to Pascal because I said listen I'm going to bring Zach up tomorrow to watch the lads burn and he said yeah no problem he said I met your outfit last week he said with a Canadian friend of mine and he and me, me, the Canadian friend me dad my dad's great for the stories as well like he loves talking about his old days in the zoo and it was like he used to go in with these they were called redneck and uh, our eastern grey kangaroo was massive and they go open their back leg and balance themselves on their tail and they'd come at you and they'd be dad used to have to go in with a yard brush and you'd have to push him back and literally spar with him and he, uh, he he said the Canadian guy was fascinated listening and he said well, he walked away with Pascal he said Jesus that guy telling the truth that just sounds crazy and Pascal said trust me it is he said he, he, everything he's telling you is the truth he said in the old days in the zoo like it was great he's a great storyteller too but my dad's great memories of, of being there as a kid too and Thankfully, as I say, it's a different place now. It's it's where the animals, you know, psychological, physiological, social needs are all met, and it's 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 a, it's a real journey of discovery for anybody to go up there and learn from. 
Yeah, well, I brought my daughter for her first birthday there last month. So we had a fantastic time. Looking forward to going back again, maybe next month or the month after. But look, Brilliant. Jerry Creighton, uh, you've had a, it's been a rocky road, but full of uh, full of laughs and great times, I'm sure. Great memories for you from your life so far. And loads more to come with your new work with Elephants. So we wish you all the best of it. And thank you very much for joining us today on the Rocky Road. Simon McGuire, thank you very much for coming on with us again. And uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks, lads. A pleasure. Thank you. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.